Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sutcher. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? I'm good, John. I'm uh, sitting in North Carolina in Charlotte. It's a beautiful sunshine and a blue sky here today. So uh, how about you? Are you doing well? Are you home? Well, you know, I got, I got in from the latest thing at about midnight last night, so I am um, <laughs> um, sort of uh, peering through the fog this this morning, um, I, I spent I spent time at the uh, ASU GSV summit, and ASU is Arizona State University, and GSV is a an investment firm called Global Silicon Valley, and they put on this this event that uh, it was in San Diego, and and there were four thousand people there, five hundred tech companies maybe 1,500 different investors and a smattering of um, practitioners, like two. Okay. <laughs> you know, so so its primary focus is the education technology market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so, so they are working hard to reach out into the HR tech space, uh, but they're still young at it. And, and that means that that the people that I happen to know who were from the HR tech space were all sort of scratching their heads about what was going on there. But it was, it's the most interesting thing because the level of conversation is extraordinary. Unlike most conferences, the point of this one is for people to talk to each other and the content is secondary. Um, and, and so, so the halls are full of conversations and and people don't the the, the content isn't full there's a, just a ton of content and it isn't full um and 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 they're not they they don't because it's an investment firm at the core satisfaction with content is not the primary measure of effectiveness Always good at a session, but I'm not surprised. The, the investors generally want to talk to people and get the inside scoop usually, and so they're always in the hallways conferring. And if they had just a few practitioners, just enough so that the investors felt like they got a feeling of what you know practitioners might think about something, it, it makes sense on all that front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great, and the, and the people, the 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 degree to which. Um, um, Interesting problems are discussed, like like a primary thing that you that you saw because because the education sector, it, academia is a different world from the business world, and there's always this yeah. big gap between between the two things. And um, when you bring um, HR tech into that space, you get exposed to the gap between the two, and. And it's really interesting to have conversations across that gap. So, so I ran a panel on assessment, um, and the two people on the panel with me were one. One was uh, Josh Jarrett from Carew, and um, and Josh is a Gates Foundation alumni from the EdTech marketplace, who is building a um, sort of grit and determination assessment company in uh, Seattle. And the other person on the panel was Alina um, DeVries, who is the 
head of R&D for the ACT, the, the, the non-SAT college admission test. And yeah. he um, also predicts human behavior from testing. And so getting to, getting to look at the difference between a commercial view of assessment and an academic view of assessment was extraordinary. And, and, and it was a, uh, the panel was a great deal of fun because those two points of view are circles that have a Venn diagram, but the intersection is not as big as you might think. And, and so, yeah. so, so it was fun to be in that kind of environment at that sort of edge. And, and I would assume on the higher education, but I mean, they, they truly believe in assessments at a pretty deep level because it's part of the research model. And, you know, the, I, I can already see in my mind the idea that, well, even if we, you know, don't exactly predict who we're looking for, we'll always have more data to have, right? Because that's a big thing that, that research and the universities are always looking for. And I'm sure that's part of their thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that was interesting. Have I told you that we're doing a, um, a master class in HCM, Gina Kelly and I, at the end of June? You mentioned it last week, but it's important oh, well, to make sure that people are aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let, let me mention let, yeah. let me mention it again. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you go to the HR Examiner website, there's information about the the master class at HCM, and we'll be doing it on June 29th in Princeton, just in time for the Fourth of July weekend. Um, um, and you are in the process of collecting survey results now. We are. We are. And probably everybody's being bombarded right now. So I, I'm, I'm hesitant to mention it. But, yeah, yeah, we have launched the 21st year of the annual Sierra Theater survey uh, last week. And it's been exciting. It, it, it's always exciting to see it launched because, you know, there's so many people who, who just wait for it year after year. It's that annual thing. Um, and the practitioners are already starting to email me uh, with comments and, and thoughts about the survey, and that's that's always very welcoming. Um, and and I'm this week actually in Charlotte talking to an uh, organization who took the survey um, and enjoyed the process and called us up and said, hey, let's have a conversation about some strategy. And so it's great when I get a chance to get out and talk to the practitioners, the buyers, the people who are in the HR technology space from the other end of the vendor space, right, that we talk to so much um, and get to hear their thoughts and their comments. Um, th this actual uh, organization was the one that put me on the thought of putting more questions in the survey about security. So we have a lot more questions this year about cybersecurity, who owns it, um, what type of uh, approaches organizations taking to it, and it was because of a conversation with this organization and several others that were down here in the Charlotte area. So. Yeah, it's a good week because I love launching the surveys this time of year. So. so, so Charlotte, North Carolina, the hotbed of HBM security. A what? It is. It is for the from the company's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. It's a. Well, you know, there are a lot of large companies down here, um, and I think every large company is having these questions. Um, you know, I did deliver the session at the Learn Conference a few weeks back. Um, <clears throat> just give it an update on sort of the HR technology market where it's heading and what we're doing on our finance survey as well and how that all is fitting together. And what was we thought was sort of surprising is the space that got the most attention in that presentation was where we were talking about whether or not organizations 
um, how to bring your own device policy, whether or not they knew what it was, um, whether or not they had multi-factor login capabilities with their cybersecurity strategy, whether or not HR systems were in their cybersecurity strategy. People were massively taking notes, taking pictures, and the answer was that no, most of them didn't know what was going on in their organization. And so I think it's a conversation we probably need to have more often. <laughs> so, so, so we have a little bit of that in the news this week. So, so do you think um, that security is an HR function? So there's a data security question, um, but but you know the the primary thing in security is that it boils down to people, and and if you have IT running around trying to get people to do stuff, it, that doesn't strike me as a good way to get security to happen, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And 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 so so I've been making the case for a while that 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 HR should be responsible for security. Um, and it is, it is in places where there are actual security clearance things because the background check is the essence of a, of a, of a security clearance and HR does background screening um, in general. Uh, so, so it's natural in sort of defense and aerospace environments that the HR department does security, but it's not a uniform thing. You know, HR doesn't have a lot of uniform practices. And uh, so what do you think? Do you think HR should be in charge of security? I, I think it's a, yeah, I think, I think in, in certain cases, it definitely should be. Um, the thing that I think we're finally coming to realize is that no matter how good your technology, your firewall, your tools, right, whether you have your servers on site or in a cloud or managed by whoever, the, the biggest gap, the biggest place where you have the risk is with the people in your organization. And so I think at the end of the day, if HR doesn't take some ownership here, they're going to end up, you know, finding that it becomes falls back on their lap. And that's not something I think anybody wants in, in the back end of the process. I think if they're ahead of the process, they will find that they will be a part of the solution, uh, own the processes that are human um, risks, and make sure that they are treating it the same way they treat any kind of um, process that they have in place that people are required to fill out documentation for regulations or for their paychecks, right? It's got to be just as important um, because data privacy and data uh, cybersecurity issues are, are crippling companies right now, particularly when, when people, you know, are opening up these ransomwares. There's a, there was a big article, uh, not this week, but last week that I had pulled um, that was talking about the fact that they're finding that the ransomware technology is targeting HR more than anywhere else. Um, that was done by Verizon. It was it was pretty uh, fascinating to see. So that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, huh. Well, we'll 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 get back to that. But but I am of the opinion that that HR needs to step up and do something with security because because it's fundamentally a people problem. And and so it'll be it'll be fascinating to see. We'll, we'll get our first blast at it in a month or so when GDPR kicks in, and yes. and 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 it turns out that they're serious about enforcement and that nobody's prepared. That'll that'll be a big turning point in this particular conversation. Yeah, just having one or two of your HR systems say that yes, we're GDPR compliant does not mean you are prepared. That's what I've been trying to tell companies. <laughs> So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's in the mailbag? Yeah. 
I would say it's, it's a busy week. I was, you know, speaking of all these companies that are going to have to be GDPR prepared, um, this week we have finally gotten some announcement on Ceridian's IPO plans. So it looks like Ceridian is setting its terms of its IPO to raise about $441 million, which means it's going to go out for IPO price between $19 and $21 a share. Um, we don't have a date yet, I don't think. So there's no date that was given, at least anywhere that me and you could find on when they right. were going to, you know, sort of drop the, the IPO uh, uh, process. But this is good news. This means we're, we're getting closer to it, right? So we, it should be coming anytime at this point. And then once that happens, Ceridian will be back in the news again with a lot, I'm sure, of updates and, and information about where they're going from there, right? Right. They, you have to be quiet as the as the IPO approaches because um, communications uh, can be interpreted as insider um, insight, and so and so everything yeah. goes quiet for an enforced quiet period prior to the IPO. Um, it'll be good, you know. You know, Ceridian Ceridian was a public company. Uh, God, twenty years ago. I bet it was. I bet it was twenty years ago, and and the private equity took them off the market uh, because they saw a lot of potential there, and it has been a real slog for the company to get back into the public markets. You know, the 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 idea when private equity buys a company is that there's a fixer upper quality to the company, and that the private equity people are smarter than the existing management, so they can accelerate earnings. Um, and and get a deliciously sweet return on their investment, and and Ceridian was hard to get right. Um, the 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 reign of David Ossip has been um, extraordinary for the company, and they converted this old original um, uh, payroll technology and service agency. Uh, company into a shining star of new software over the course of the last five or six years, and um, it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing to behold. And you know, there's all there's a, <laughs> a lot of people who've put a lot of time and energy into getting to this point. So, so congratulations to them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know um, it's it's. We've been talking about this for quite some time, sort of on the rumor mill that they're getting ready, they're getting ready, and so it's sort of seeing it come to fruition is 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 exciting just from the sheer fact that it's been sort of in the rumor mill for a long time. But I think you know, to your point, I wasn't around doing at least HR technology strategies back 20 years ago. But you know, the idea that a company can do this kind of transformation, and part of it was their purchase of Dayforce, the acquisition, and the the focus on the cloud solution. But I think it goes to show that, you know, organizations who kind of take a very focused view can make pretty dramatic changes. So um, there will be a lot, I think, of um, I know that there's understanding there's a lot of debt going to be paid back on some of the things that the older Ceridian Service Bureau organization had in place. But I think once that's all done, it, it'll be pretty, um, you know, a move forward plans will, will be going in place. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Ceridian, Ceridian produced a lot of shining stars in our in our business. Jason Everbrook worked there. Gina Gilly, Naomi Bloom, all paid their dues at Ceridian. Oh, I didn't realize Gina Gilly worked there. That's interesting. Wow, that that does go back a ways, then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, no, that. I, just, 
Gene, if you're listening, Stacey thinks you're really old. Of course, she, but she's always been in marketing from my perspective. <laughs> All right, let's move on before I get myself in any more trouble. <laughs> Please tell Gene I didn't. I think you should expect some dead roses in your mailbox. I know, I'm going to have to call Gene now. <laughs> All right. Um, Kronos is acquiring a new organization as well. So this, it, what's really happening here is that once Strudin comes out of, of their sort of IPO and Kronos hits the ground running with what they're doing, we get two of the biggest workforce management companies in the market that are going to go head to head. So I'm waiting to see this happen. But Kronos is acquiring assets of advanced payroll systems. Um, this, I think... This is going to be an interesting sort of acquisition, but my understanding is that what they're looking to purchase here primarily is more of the um, end-to-end solution for tax filing, garnishment, processing, distribution paychecks for the service side of advanced payroll systems. So I don't know much about advanced payroll systems, but I know that for Kronos, they're going to connect this, it looks like, um, with their Kronos Workforce Ready product, which is their sort of uh, SMB and mid-market organization usually somewhere around, you know, 100 to 1,000 employees, um, and their Workforce Dimensions product, which I don't know that product as well, but it's not part of the sort of Workforce Central product, which is more of the just workforce management applications. Um, this is their their sort of suites for the mid-market and the smaller organizations is what they're attaching this to. Um, and the president, um, uh, Bob, uh, of, of SAS HR, which is Chrono SAS HR, which is basically Workforce Central, um, said that they're expecting that um, this acquisition will allow Kronos to both simplify and enhance delivery of Kronos payroll services to our customers. So it's very much focused on doing a better job in payroll. So Kronos is maybe coming out swinging, saying that they're going to become a, a big player in payroll as well as workforce management. What do you think, John? Is this is this going to make for some interesting, you know, uh, HCM payroll conversations coming up? Well, I, I think I, I, I'm going to back away from that a little bit and say <coughs> that one of the two or three most interesting um, AI applications is a Kronos app. Right? Kronos does very, very effectively schedule recommendations in complex scheduling environments. And this is, this is kind of an ideal AI app. And so, so what I'm seeing is Kronos, this billion-dollar um, old company, is starting to look like it's got new blood, and it's starting to be the case um, for the way that the way that big old companies have an advantage in AI that nobody would have guessed if you if you believed all of the normal crap about uh, young startups having the advantage. They've got all this yeah. data. They've got very, very smart people. They understand their marketplace. And so so it's exciting to see them coming to life in the marketplace. Yeah. And we've been saying for ages, both me and you, that data is what's most important here. And no matter how new or inventive your technology is, if you don't have the data to train it, it's not going to be that valuable. And these companies have the data, right? That's right. That's right. It's 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 going to be. I I can't wait to see this play out because little companies have some interesting advantages, but they have been 
used to dancing circles around the big guys, and the big guys now have the capacity to dance circles around the little guys in some areas, and so so that's interesting. I do want to do want to talk about uh, Workday for just a second mm-hmm. in this regard. I, I went to the Workday Tech Summit last week, and um, one of the things that was most interesting to me about Workday is their project called Natural Workspaces. Workday is Workday is making a lot, putting a lot of effort into being an open ecosystem player. They're a little late to that game. They they didn't go there lightly because they want control over the quality of the data in their systems. Um, but but this move, which they call natural workspaces, is to take the Workday interface to the places where people actually work. So they have a Slack integration, they're planning some Facebook integration, and they're going they're going away from the idea that that the enterprise platform is the destination and to the idea that what you want to do is interact with enterprise systems where you actually work. It's an amazing it's an amazing change to see. It's a really an amazing change to see. It's it's really fascinating to me. I didn't get a chance to go to that uh, event because I was speaking that week, but I I think that this is this is a big turn for for Workday because for a long time I think the idea has been that we are the platform we want people to come here. This really shifts that dialogue. Not to say that they probably still don't want people to come to the platform, particularly for business planning and and their finance side of things as well. But it sounds like they're very aware that in the social environments, people are getting work done outside of of these applications, right? Yeah, I think I think that 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 what they understand really really well is nobody wants to go anywhere near an enterprise application. They want to get their work done and an enterprise is infrastructure. It's not it's not engagement, right? This is this is this is a kind of a rejection of the platform of engagement idea. Which you know, it all, it all, that that notion that that what you're supposed to do uh, with payroll and administrative and benefits thing is engage employees and make them happy and delight them. That's that always struck me as kind of weird, um, because employees are doing work, right? You want them engaged in work. <laughs> you don't really want them engaged in HR. You want them in and out of HR as fast as you can get them in and out of HR. And so this. Is is a, a really interesting acknowledgement of that. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit. So, so back in the talent management, when when talent management was still sort of ramping up, um, Halogen had started to to do a deep integration with Microsoft Office and a lot of its products, where basically you could accomplish almost all your talent management sort of conversations, initiatives, checkoffs, all the things that we do inside the talent management systems in Microsoft Office. And I remember the conversation with them was very much about the idea of People are getting their work done here. We understand this. And, you know, you know, Halogen for the last three years has been one of the higher ranked user experiences in at least the survey that we do at Sierra Cedar. And I think much of it has been around this idea that you can get your work done outside of the system, right? Uh, and it tracks it and, and, and brings it back to you. Um, I think this is the same kind of thinking, um, maybe on the next level where the social market is at. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting. Halogen was recently bought by Saba, the CEO, 
if other applications, you know, go this far into it, um, it'll be interesting to see where, where Workday ends up here. So. Yeah, well, and, and, and you know, just, just to sort of underscore that a little bit, there's, there's really interesting, God, we, we need to have a, we need to have a, Filter on our thing to take away the interesting word. <laughs> the word interesting yes, on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 Saba, there's there's fascinating life in Saba. They they just did a um, um, a webinar series with our very own Heather Bussing, and um, and what they're talking about is shifting the conversation on sexual harassment from a reporting problem to a safety problem. So setting up mechanisms so that that uh, the sexual harassment issue is handled in the same way that you handle OSHA requirements. Um, and that's interesting, right? That, that, that says every employee is entitled to a safe work environment. Um, and that, then that the way that you get there is through structural things and um, um, and audits and that, and that sort of stuff, rather than through the hope and prayer that somebody will um, report their boss or their coworker yeah. for, for whatever is going or on. Or some big training session, uh, as we're seeing, you know, Facebook do with their diversity inclusion, you know, this coming week, you know, they're not Facebook, but uh, Starbucks, sorry. Starbucks, yeah. Diversity inclusion, yeah. So. Yeah, so it's, you know, th this is the, you know, the idea that it's not once and done, that these have to be built into the processes is, is the big conversation, right? Where people get work done, how they get work done. Um, I actually love seeing all the markets go in this direction because we've been talking about this for a long time. That's why I think the workforce management applications have so much value because they are the tools that generally track that sort of where work gets done type of information. So it'll be interesting to watch. We have a couple yeah, of things in the news. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think you should underline that one thing that you that you said in, in that in that little rant, which is we've been talking about this stuff for a long time. Wouldn't it be smart of everybody to listen to us all the time and do what we say? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> of course. I would say today's show has been a little bit much more like commercial for us personally, but that that wasn't the plan, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> they should Stacy the answer the answer is not to be embarrassed of course they should <laughs> I'm a good Midwesterner that you know the humbleness comes honestly here <laughs> <laughs> okay you got a couple more right. a couple more things yeah so uh, staffing for Medeco um, went um, uh, enters education with general assembly acquisition this so this is really interesting from my perspective, because, you know, we've been talking about staffing firms basically changing their models, trying to get into technology. They've been buying the technology tools. Now it looks like they're buying a learning tool. They're, they're focusing on filling the skills gap um, and building out, you know, sort of more global education technology. This is $412. million, um, according to the joint release. Uh, both organizations are very excited about it. Um, uh, General Assembly partnered with tech giant Adobe to open the Adobe Digital Academy in 2016, um, uh, and that seems to be the focus of part of this connection. So uh, we're seeing more of the staffing firms uh, get into the space of technology and uh, training, it looks like, which they've been in for a long time, but I think this, this is sort of on a, on a much grander scale. So, so all of the staffing companies are changing their fundamental business model, and they... Um, 
don't necessarily have good ways of talking about it just yet, but but they're starting to be starting to see themselves as responsible for the quality of the workforce that they provide. That means they have to go into education. Yeah. Well, and and we're also seeing the education market change, as you noted in your conversation. So um, this one probably isn't as surprising. Private equity firm uh, that owns both of them, Vista, um, basically is merging PowerSchool and PeopleAdmin. Uh, PeopleAdmin is the sort of um, talent management application that's generally used by a lot of K through 12 and higher education organizations. Uh, in the survey that we do with higher education, we get a lot of higher education responses. They usually get four or five percent uh, adoption levels. They're they're pretty big as you look at that sort of cohort group. Um, but I think what's interesting is now we're starting to see this idea of PowerSchool, which sort of runs all of the student information um, and the student work and student registrations and, and tracking of their grades and everything. Now connecting with the People Admin, which is the tool primarily used to track talent management and recruiting for uh, higher education K through 12. So definitely more changes taking place in that market as well. Was that mentioned at all at the conference you were at? Um, I'm, I'm sure it was, but there were there were 500 companies making claims, so so it was virtually impossible to see it all. Well, maybe just to wrap up today, then we may want to just note that there, you know, we were talking about cybersecurity at the beginning of the, uh, the conversation. Uh, there's been a couple of interesting things going on in the cybersecurity space. One is that Microsoft and Facebook um, are now, along with with 30 other global technology companies, announcing to a joint pledge not to assist any government in offensive cyber attacks. Um, this goes along with a, a couple of other things going on in the cybersecurity space, but other companies that joined this was Oracle, uh, SAP, Dow, Semantic, FireEye, companies we know that are part of much of the HR technology space. Uh, do you think that this is, I mean, will this be something they could actually stand behind? Are they are they going to be able to say, no, we're, we're not going to support the country that we're headquartered in or the country that we're working in to do cybersecurity attacks? I, you know what? I don't even know what this means. I don't even know what this <laughs> means. So, so, so when you buy a tool, the company doesn't get a choice in what you do with the tool that you buy. You go to the hardware store and you buy a hammer. The hammer company, the hammer company, can stand up all night and all day and say, "We're not going to aid you hammering people on the head with our hammer." Um, so what? But the hammer doesn't have technology that feeds back to the company that purchased you purchased it from, telling you what you're doing with that hammer. Most of these technologies today do. So I do think there is something here that is different, but, right? Well, but this doesn't say we're going to tell on you. It says we're not going to help you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. If this isn't. This isn't. There's nobody to tell. Right. If you if they're not supporting governments, there's nobody to tell, and so they're not they're not promising to alert anybody. They're promising <laughs> not to help. They're and promising not I, to help. Yeah. I I bet you a million bucks um, that that this parses pretty carefully around issues like immigration. Yeah. 
um, around issues like maintaining lists of bad actors, and right? So, so, so this says we're not going to aid people who are trying to overthrow our customers. Is that what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to try to. We're not going to aid people who are trying to overthrow our customers. Oh, good move. That really. That's newsworthy. We're not going to sabotage well, our customers. It made the rounds. I thought it was worth us talking about because we're going to be hearing you say a lot more of these kind of. Well, we don't need regulations. We're part of this association or this vow or this group. So it, it's an interesting. Um, long-term conversation for us to have, which is how much are these companies now that they're in this world where their technology can be used for something and they get information back from their technology, how much are they held accountable to the countries that they are in where the work is being done? So. See, this, this gives me an idea for a new technology. Instead of 3D printers, we should have press release printers. That, that... <laughs> okay. Some love I'll, 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 press releases. I'll, I'll leave that right there and, and say thanks. It's been, it's been a great show. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks, Stacey. I, I really appreciate yeah. the fact that we do this every week. Definitely. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer, with Stacey Harris and John Sumser, and it's been great. Thanks very much. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye now. Bye, everyone.